Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A Living History Production. I'm Peter Hart. And I'm Gary Bain. And together, we're Pete and Gary's Military History Podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Uh, Here we are again. I'm Peter Hart and I'm with lovely Gary Bain, a talker of East Finchley. Now he's here. Uh, Before we start, just welcome to my home, Gary. Thanks, Peter. Thank you and, very much. Uh, just, uh, just as a sign, we have this Fox's Glacier Mint. We have had a bit of sponsorship recently, and uh, we'd like to... Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Fox's oh. Glacier Mint, I guess. Thanks very much. Oh, it's, it's really minty. Mint, mm. not fruity? No, not fruity, because it's a Glacier Mint. <laughs> You'd expect nothing else, would you? Oh, it's lovely. Yeah, yeah, well, oh, <laughs> the money will be pouring in. Anyway... Um, Right, now, this, what's, what, what we're doing today, Gary? Well, what's it called, this one? What's it called? What's it called? Well, this is the South Knot Cesars in Peacetime, one of our many uh, long-running uh, podcast series. And this one's called Fun, Fun, Fun in the TA. Well, we've stepped aside from the chronological thing, haven't we? Um, yeah, so it does mean that the ranks are going to be all over the place. People that we've got used to being, you know, quite senior ranks, sergeant majors, they'll be back down again. They'll be all over the place. Yeah. Now, what we're looking at is the fun that was had by the men of the South Nazis over the years, since, since the 1960s mainly. Um, the... Uh, we want to say before we start, some people might look down on some of the things we're talking about. So there are elements of drunkenness, rudeness, bad behaviour, much like our own home life, <laughs> I suppose. Uh, but but um, yeah, yeah, I mean, things that seem screamingly funny to some uh, <laughs> are, are deemed utterly irresponsible, sheer stupidity, or on some occasions, downright disgusting. Oh, by I, I, I do dislike downright disgusting things. I have to say. Now, before leaping to condemn the amusement of others, it's best to remember that only those without sin should cast the first stone. Ow! Can I have another mint? (laughs) Oh, all right then. Have you finished the other one already? I think Fox's Glacier Mints are lovely. Yeah. Anyway, um, so... um, 
so, so where are we? Yeah, so some of what we're going to tell you about is a bit regrettable, I suppose. But it's, do you know what? It's these are the things that the lads of the South Nuts are ours. Remember, uh, uh, affection, awe. <laughs> these are the emotions that, that that still spring to the, the the hearts of those who remember the various incidents. Now, the spirit of the South Nuts is ours. It's not only expressed in the drill hall, the gun sheds, or at the firing camps. Every one of them was a volunteer, and it was essential that they bonded themselves together with a spirit of comradeship that could withstand anything that inspectors of gunnery or their putative Soviet enemies could throw at them. Those Soviet enemies. Those putatives. You put that in deliberately, didn't <laughs> yes, you? Yes, I did. Well, it's also, it's quite like Putin, isn't it? So. <laughs> now, for commissioned officers, the heart of the regiment was the officer's mess. You never in that, were you? <laughs> well, I was. I was washing up, mainly. Now, at uh, Bullwell Drill Hall, uh, it's a pretty small wood-panelled room. I did some interviews there. It's up on the first floor. Um, but uh, what would you say was the real officer's mess? Well, you could say it was the officers themselves. Yeah, wherever they were, whether it's at Bullwell, uh, under canvas in, in the field, or some grotty nursing hut at some camp left over from the Second World War. It, it, it's still there. You know. Or Morrison's. Or Morrison's, yes. There is a big Morrison's opposite the uh, drill hall. Uh, whatever the uh, physical location, they transform the officer's mess on a, on a, on a, on a formal gas, guest night. Gas, gas night. That's like a guest night, only it's ghastly. Um, so uh, so how, what, what would a guest night be like? Well, the room or tent, would be beautifully decorated, the tables carefully laid, and the regimental silver would emerge to bedazzle in all its expensive finery. Yeah, we were looking at some of that at the uh, Warwickshire Yeomanry. Uh, we were, uh, recently. And you just look at the size of it and think, that looks expensive. <laughs> now, the South Knotts' ours never wasted a party and always tried to invite distinguished guests that might prove useful in the future. But the prime directive was to have fun. Now, on such evenings, the smooth running of the mess is, is often dependent on the competence of the mess stewards. And, uh, and in the South Otazars, they were blessed in part, rather like the uh, legendary curate's egg. What do I mean by this? Well, here's Captain Robert Watson to discuss the stewards. Sergeant Trek was the mess steward and ran the mess. He was a good friend to most of the people in the mess. He had a good sense of humour and could run an extremely good mess function. Bombardier Milner was an amazing character. A couple of sandwiches short of a picnic. Not probably at home elsewhere in the battery, but an absolute round peg in a round hole in the officer's mess. Now, Jim Freck, Sergeant Jim Freck, he's, he's a popular man. He's, he's got a dry, wicked sense of humour. He's an ex-Grenadier guardsman. So, po you know, like a poker up some fundamental part of him. Uh, uh, tall. You mean a tall, graceful man, yeah, not right. somebody with a poker up their jacksie. It's a strong sense of personal discipline. Um, how, how would you describe John Miller? I'm now thinking of you in your army career. Well, he was neither tall, graceful or disciplined. Oh, can I have another Fox's glass here? Yes, all right. We've only got one small bag. The sponsors weren't very generous. And, you know, you do have to prepare them. And this is uh, Second Lieutenant John Jackson. Uh, Milner was not the tidiest or cleanest person, and Jim Freck was always immaculate. Then he rubbed together. It was like a match in a matchbox. You needed both of them to run the mess. Freck was there to do all the niceties, and Milner was there for all the dog's body things. 
Mm. It's a bit like you and me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm doing the dog's buddy thing, aren't I? (laughs) There were many stories delineating the uh, strange relationship between this real-life odd couple, Uh, but none quite so revealing as the near-legendary story of the General's Port. Now, this incident occurred during uh, Major Mark, Mike, 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 Mike Parker's period in command, and it was witnessed at close quarters by the then battery captain, Tim Richmond, one of our long-standing favourites in this thing. And you're going to be battery captain, Tim Richmond. I had to my right a gunner brigadier, Bill Cornett, who was the CRA, that's the Commander Royal Artillery. And on the other side of the table, we had the battery commander, Mike Parker. The guest of honour was Major General Dick Gerard Wright, who was the General Officer Commanding Eastern District. The port was going round, and as it gets towards the General, it had almost run out. Now, the party's going well, but this, 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 what happens is a great comic moment. Uh, and they'd, they'd always remember this. Three or four of them told me about this. Um, and, and the details, are, you know, a, a, a lot of them couldn't remember the details. Why would that be, Gary? Uh, Alcohol intake and the passage of years. Not not a good combination. And this is Major Mike Parker who was there. It had been drilled into Milner that it would go, it will go smoothly and there will be no upsets. The port and Madeira on the table and start to circulate. Milner has been told to watch the port and had been told that when it gets to a certain level to discreetly retrieve the decanter and refill it because we had a lot of people there and it was not going to go round in one bash otherwise somebody was going to get very small measures oh dear would you say discreet was uh, in uh, Milner's lexicon uh, probably not but I wouldn't know what a lexicon was no he's not in your dictionary is he no I thought it's someone who lives close to America yes <laughs> now battery captain Tim Richmond was also there and he said this the general put his hand on the decanter because there was enough in there for him. Just at the same time as Milner put his hand on the decanter, with a view to whipping it away to refill it, there was then a sort of arm wrestling match between the General and Gunnar Milner. It's almost surrealistic, if you think about the difference in rank and the rest of it. I mean, the uniquely scruffy figure of of, of Private or Gunnar Milner and the glorious pageantry of a, of a Major General in all his sumptuous mess kit finery. Uh, and they're all battling. They're both battling over this decanter of port. Um, you know, the General wants to squeeze the last drops out of the bowl and uh, and Milner wants to, uh, to, to, to refill it now. Now, everyone around them was ready. Rendered helpless with laughter, but metaphorically, the whole future of the South Nazis may have been poised on the brink of utter disaster. And once more, Battery Captain Richard uh, Tim Richmond says this: "Fortunately, the general wins, and his glass is filled." In the meantime, Sergeant Freck is coming down the side of the table like a tornado bomber. The next thing we hear is a smack behind the canvas. <laughs> Now, it's believed that the very solidity of the blow so audibly delivered helped soothe the general's ruffled feathers. That's just a... I mean, you see why we... I mean, I've been looking forward to doing this uh, this podcast. Uh, when, when, they, uh, when they've enjoyed uh, the, the port, it's time for a bit of fun at these mess dudes. And mess games, uh, it, it's... A, and one of the time... What's one of the time-honoured things in the British Army? To humiliate any junior subalterns for a series of imaginary misdemeanours. And this is 2nd Lieutenant Gil Aldridge of 425 Troop. 
Aye, there was invariably a court-martial. I was court-martial on my first camp at Rolleston as an officer. It was the padre who charged me, Robert Warburton. I was dressed as an orderly officer and I'd got a cross belt. Unbeknown to me, it was tradition in the South not as ours that the orderly officer is prepared for everything. In your dispatch box on your back, you had to have a match, a piece of toilet paper and a Durex. The Durex was missing out of mine and I was accused of using it. <laughs> I got out of it because I pleaded it was the chap who was on the night before and I got away with it. <laughs> now, you can imagine the penalties conjured up as punishments displayed varying degrees of invention, severity and occasionally downright perversity. The victims had little option but to carry them out. Now, there's other mess games still much in evidence, and they haven't changed much since the 1950s. And, you know, there's High Cockalora and Moriarty, which I remember you mentioned that you used to play, hitting each other with a newspaper. Rolled up newspaper. Or, 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 or plank of wood or a bottle. <laughs> a pay stick in the yeah, in the uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, there, there, there's various other traditional games. But there's nothing more than a, you know, Got a rough and tumble, scrabbling about on the floor of the mess after a large meal and a massive amount of port. And uh, what's the game that most sums it up? Well, Second Lieutenant Gil Aldridge is going to tell us. Mess rugby. Oh, wrong accent. Aye, mess rugby. Normally, by this time, we'd we'd have taken our mess jackets off and we just did trousers and vests. No spurs, obviously. I You'd hate have... spurs. <laughs> God. You'd have two teams and they'd pay rugger and try and knock some hell out of some cushion. Everybody barling into each other. Just a free for all. You know, you can imagine there's more injuries in that than everywhere on the on the, the uh Well yeah, but one of the more physical games was a version of the piggyback game played by young kids everywhere. When played by grown men, it was a fearsome game that conjured up images of heavily armoured knights of old bearing down on their helpless prey. And this is Second Lieutenant then Ian Cunningham. The whole mess is then filled with people who are either horses or on horseback. And there's a melee and the last pair standing is the winner. Mike Parker on Tim Richmond's back was always a bloody terrifying combination in terms of kinetic energy. It may not have been particularly manoeuvrable, but in terms, in terms of straight line force, it was horrific. Melee. Melee. One speciality of the South Dots was undoubtedly their predilection for water fighting on a heroic scale. A veritable Niagara of water could be triggered by the smallest of imagined slights. And once more, you're going to go on as Second Lieutenant Ian Cunningham. Water fights tended to break out all sorts of time. It really just depended on the whim of whomsoever was indulging. Sometimes people would reel out the fire hose. Sometimes there'd be no water at all. Sometimes fireworks were being discharged up and down the corridor, and sometimes they weren't. Rockets being fired horizontally down the corridor, which probably doesn't accord with, with instructions for use in any way, shape or form. Now, water fighting, that, that is the one thing they've got in common with students, because in halls of residence, water fighting was just legendary. And they, I, I have a chum, Frank, who, who, they used to fill a whole, you know, an old plastic bin. Not the little ones, the full ones. And they fling them about three. Fantastic. Used to come through the floor. 
Overall, the drinking cultures had not really changed, although the attitudes displayed by young officers in the 1960s and 70s had to be modified once the drink driving legislation hit the statute book and gained real bite with the advent of the dreaded breathalyzer. Well, uh, and that, again, this is... The army is just part of society. Yeah, that wasn't only in the army. It's absolutely... And I remember I used to be vaguely involved in politics and the MP and people and and the agents would drink and drive. There's no two ways about it until well into the 80s. So, you know... But not all the officers drank heavily and some of them not even at all. There were quieter officers amidst the herd. (laughs) You take the other, most of them are like cattle. There was undoubtedly peer group pressure to conform to the slightly drunken norm, but some simply ploughed their own furrow. But such moderate drinkers or teetotalers were definitely in the minority. I know how that feels. Yeah. Now, when when the officers finished their period of service, they'd, 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 be, they'd have the traditional dining out. Uh, officers' mess, distinguished guests, and they're often lively affairs. But one distinguished officer, he's now, in this quote, a major. major. Wow, that's <laughs> quick. <laughs> major Ian Cunningham. He's determined to ensure that his dining out establish a benchmark for all-round debauchery. <laughs> In the South Otisar's officers' mess. And this is Major Ian Cunningham, 307 Battery. I organised my own dining out in conjunction with Bob Privet. That's the admin officer. I only invited those who I wanted to be there. I organised some girls I know to do the catering and some of the female soldiers acted as waitresses. There may be some sexism about this, but let's not dwell on it. It was quite a complex meal. It started with vodka in blocks of ice being served with mixed cold meats and fishes. It then moved into a, onto a small quiche, a fish dish, a sorbet, then onto the main course of roast beef, then onto cheese, then a pudding. Jesus wept. He didn't say that. Ian Jameson had come by a bottle of whiskey and put it into a bloody great water pistol. At the pre-dinner drinks, when we were all sipping dry sherry, Jameson was wandering around and if someone had their mouth open for slightly too long, it would fire a burst of whiskey into it. By the end of the pre-drink, <laughs> pre-dinner drinks, quite a lot of drink had been consumed. We then move on to the first course of vodka in frozen containers, which was pretty spectacular. By the time the main course came, we'd already lost two people. <laughs> oh, what a rather fitting name for whiskey, Jameson. Yes, yes, yes. Now, uh, it went, so it started off as a fairly formal guest night dinner, but it, it's mutating. Uh, as, as Cunningham had planned, into, into something rather more startling. And one, one young, bright young officer, he's colonel now, <laughs> Officer Cadet Richard King, was slowly sucked into drinking rather more than he had intended to or, or was used to. Uh, I know that feeling. I often get led into the ways of evil by older men. I'm not going there. Now, this is Officer Cadet Richard King. <laughs> It became more and more reckless. Just the amount of drink and one person was trying to outdo the other. We had firecrackers on the table and all these potatoes. I recall putting firecrackers into the potatoes, lighting them and throwing them into the air above the table. Of course, as they exploded, there was potato everywhere. I drank port out of my shoe that night. That's a lovely apropos of nothing at the end yeah. there. Uh, now, like a, a true intellectual, Ian Cunningham sought to add a certain cu- cultural je ne sais quoi to the whole evening. That's in addition to the scantily waitresses dancing on the tables. It's getting out of hand, Gary. 
we'll have we'll be in trouble about this. Anyway, Cunningham says this. I'd rigged various people's places so that there was explosives in being set off. There was some nice new potatoes being used as food and ammunition, not thrown around, but bangers placed into a new potato. have quite a fragmentation effect. At various stages in the evening, I called upon people to read poems, and so people had to stand on the table and read a prepared poem. That was to try and introduce an element of culture. The three female officers, they had to stand on the table and tell a story. At the end of the meal, we did the normal clearing. Then we carried on drinking, and it turned into a fairly major water fight. Fire hoses were deployed. It all got quite raucous. Bloody raucous and stark. Now, the highlight of the officer's social calendar was probably the South Notzazar's officer's ball. This was a grand occasion where the officers, their friends and local dignitaries mixed together in an old-fashioned ball held at one of the country homes of either former officers, such as Sir William Barber or James Gunn. We've mentioned both those, yeah. Or one of the wealthy friends of the regiment. What are they for? Well, they're, they're luxurious affairs designed to demonstrate the social eligibility, political links and economic power of the regiment. Now, here's somebody who gives an idea of what it was like. This second lieutenant, Tony Haynes, he became a, a, another uh, colonel. Uh, what did he say? You had Piper piping the guests in. The commanding officer of the day would always welcome yourself and your lady at the door. Normally, you take your own little party of personal friends. There'd be a few drinks. People wouldn't start dancing immediately, but it gradually would warm up. You had a wonderful buffet supper. The wine was flowing because you paid for your ticket and that was it. You never had to put your hand in your pocket again. As the evening wore on, it would get noisier and more boisterous. A few people would have, would have had far too much, and I must admit, I probably was one of them. <laughs> we went on until three or four o'clock. Then you had a champagne breakfast. By then, a lot of the old and bold had gone, and it was usually the younger set that were still enjoying themselves. You used to take walks into the gardens and get some fresh air, basically. That's how John Keyes fell into the moat. He was drunk. I think people were beginning to feel a little bit jaded by then. And, and this is, you see, I remember interviewing John Keyes is the most respectable lawyer type figure you can imagine. But of course, that, that everyone was young once. A little else. bit jaded. A little bit jaded. That's a lovely statement, isn't it? Um, that, 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 that's an annual event. Uh, but they also have Sunday lunches that were. Um, it summed up the relationship between the officers. On Sunday, they'd all gather together. They'd hold them at uh, Bullwell Drill Hall. And they, 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 you, the food and how much was drunk, depending on the personality of the commanding officer today. But they were important things. You uh, didn't want to say Epicurean then? No, I didn't want to say Epicurean. Anyway, um, uh, one thing about... What's this thing about any close-knit group of young men or, or young people... Well, what, 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 what is quite interesting about these informal gatherings? What, what happens? What is a little disconcerting for some? Well, everything about it, it, it sort of demands nerves of still because um, you don't know what's going to happen. And this is now Captain uh, Gil Aldridge. He says this. Ah, we used to have some very amusing Sunday lunches. A young man came along to see if he was going to join us. Tim Richmond interviewed him and said, uh, Stop for lunch. You're, you're very welcome. So he did. He sat next to Tim. Somebody threw a bread roll across the table. And there was always banter amongst us. Bill Harriman, he used to call me Dad. And he turned around to this young man and said, All right then, forget everything he said. Let's get down to basics. Stand on the table and show us your willy. 
And this poor lad, he was so embarrassed. After lunch, he went to Tim and said, I don't think it's for me. <laughs> and we never saw him again. And just a, a thing, Bill Harriman was the guy who used to be on Antiques Roadshow doing the military stuff. Never heard of it. Now, at this point, we shall take a short break to get our breath back. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Now, by contrast... The sergeant's mess had its own traditions carved out from a combination of influence of ex-regular sergeants and the homegrown traditions of the territorials. Yep, and, and in many ways, I, I want to emphasise, it's just as important, isn't it? it yeah. and, and you and I both probably think the sergeant's mess is the heart of any regiment. They were proud of the status they'd carved out by their own efforts in the battery, and in some ways, their secluded bar was more comfortable and welcoming than the wood-panelled officer's mess, I mean, in this particular case and this is sergeant warren james it's a really nice bar to go in there at the end of the evening you can discuss anything you want because you're in the presence of other sergeants if an officer wants to come in there they have to ask permission a royal artillery sergeant major told me you're in the most exclusive club in the world because you cannot 
buy your way because you can buy your way into the officer's mess if you've got plenty of money but the sergeant's mess has to be earned and under no circumstances can anyone buy their way in that's now, not strictly true no what he's, he's over exaggerated what he means is if you've got money and, and preference and education then you can get a good start as an officer you know but it, it the commission the combining commission had long gone and now one know. thing they did have in common with the officer's mess was that it was at times a fairly hard drinking institution no. and one could definitely guarantee a tough reaction to outsiders if one overstepped the bounds and this is then sergeant ian oldershaw Aye, the permanent staff instructor, Sergeant Jackson. Everybody called him Jackal. Was trying to say that you've got the rules of mess rugby wrong. Two of the gun sergeants picked him up and threw him out to window, head first in his mess kit. It was summer, so all the windows were open. I don't think they even gave him time to put his glass down. About five minutes later, Jackal came back in with his dicky bow tie round to one side. His jacket ripped. He stood near the same window and began to complain and complain and complain. Of course, he went straight back out of the same window again. Now, I just want to point out that Ian Aldershaw is now a full colonel. And, uh, although he has a slight Nottinghamshire accent. He'll be looking forward to hearing that accent. <laughs> I think, he might, I think he might go out the window, Gary. <laughs> now, the sergeants developed their own mess games, and if anything, they're even more tough, manly, oh. and ridiculous than those played by the officers. And you're going to tell us what Sergeant Stevie Wake of 307 Battery 100 Regiment at this time uh, says. And he's talking about Smudge Smith, uh, so Sergeant uh, Guy Robinson. Our listeners will be well aware of Smudge Smith. They will Smith. be aware of Smith. Myself and Smudge used to tie these bungy ropes to radiator. They were big elastic cords about half an inch thick. You'd tie six round the radiator to yourself. Then you'd run down this polished floor with no shoes on and drop coins in the ashtray. <laughs> if you're a heavy guy like I used to be, you could really run forward with your teeth, drop as many coins as you could in ashtray, and then the elastic would pull you back. Boing! We had to put a mattress at the back as we were banging into the radiator. That was fantastic fun. But we nearly pulled the radiator off the wall. I don't really understand that game at all, but it just gives you an idea of how mad it all was. What an interesting accent he had. Uh, yeah, I don't think he'd take any offence. Well, fading in and out and changing. <laughs> now, the third section of the regiment, the Gunners and Junior NCOs, hurrah! Yeah, they well, all drank, that's you, Gary. Yes, they all drank in the Yeoman's Bar. This was the place where everyone, whatever their rank, would join together to have a quick drink at the end of each drill night. Yeah, so all ranks could at times be in there. Uh, it's you know, it's not by invitation. It's it's a sort of communal place. And what does Signaller? Uh, uh, well, so he's a gunner, isn't he? Uh, Daniel Hardingham say, "You can go in the bar and say your piece without rank, and as such." You can have a moan, have a gripe, or the other way around, you can congratulate someone. But nine times out of ten, it's for a moan and a gripe. On a Wednesday night, everybody tends to mingle in the bar. Everybody comes down and everybody had a chat. It's the focal point of a Wednesday night. A quick couple of pints and then everyone disperses. Yeah. He's in the regular army now, uh, Daniel Hardin. He joined up. He enjoyed it so much, he joined up. Uh, another young officer... <laughs> this is actually from, not from an interview. This is from uh, one of the South Dotters magazines talking about the humiliations that could befall a young officer in the yeoman's bar. Um, uh, this is uh, Second Lieutenant Mark Burton. Are you going to sing this song with me? Yes. 
Sing, sing, or show us your ring. Sing, sing, or show us your ring. Chanting, everybody in unison, many individuals as one. It was a moment of custom, unity and pride. Sing, sing, show us your ring. Here were the best part of the subunit, united in one voice, one request, and nearly in tune. The words were not difficult. The tune, not complicated, but the chant made the best use of repetition and rhyme. Sing, sing and show us your ring. A musical masterpiece that perfectly fitted the purpose for which it had been designed. Although the scene that developed was new and alien to me, I find myself amused by it. After all, here were all the TA soldiers I had just been introduced to, and many I was about to meet, <laughs> and they were all taking part in what was so obviously some sort of ceremony. I could have been proud of them already. It was then that I returned to real time and stopped watching the scene from a distance. I was stood on a stool in the yeoman's bar and the request in the song was directed at me. Sing, sing, or show us your ring. Everyone in the busy bar was drunk, looking at me and demanding me to give a rendition of a popular and amusing song or demonstrate the quality of, of my sphincter. And then an inappropriate word, Gary. Bugger! A little wave of panic sweeps over me. <laughs> sing, sing, or show us your ring. There were many accomplished practical junk jokers amongst the gunners. By the very nature of affairs, there was a tendency for them to pick on the more inexperienced officers. They were just such easy targets, really. Uh, a particular point of danger for any subaltern was an invitation to join in general jollity in the sergeant's mess. It was almost inevitable that they would eventually end up as the helpless butt of one of their more inventive games. Now, this, I didn't remember this till we prepared this, but it, I remember interviewing Second Lieutenant Ben Wally. I was helpless with laughter during this, so I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. I got stitched up in one game. They set out chairs. It's meant to be a bomber. One person on each side, uh, 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 they're the engines. Two people in the cockpit, two side gunners and a rear gunner. People on chairs. You have to act out your part. So if you're an engine, you have to swing your arm around and make an engine noise. A rear gunner would pretend to shoot the gun and the pilot would have to be piloting. They act out a story as they go along as to what happens to the bomber. I was told that I had to be the right hand, the right hand side engine. It actually turned out that the right-hand engine caught fire and needed putting out. So I had about five people throw buckets of water at me at the same time. Do you think what happened to the rear gunner? Gary! Now, officers of all ages were always fair game to men like Sergeant Smudge Smith. Oh, jeez. They maintained a diligent outlook for any... A diligent lookout for any chance to humiliate them in some way via some kind of practical joke or actually assault in some you cases. You assaulted an officer once? No, I didn't. Now, this is Sergeant Smudge Smith. <laughs> One day we were lined up waiting. We've got a he'll, brew on. So I just say that it's Smudge, if he ever hears this, he'll definitely kill you. And we were eating egg and burger sarnies. The, the smell was drifting across the washdown area and Mr King came wandering over. He was wet through because he'd washed his Land Rover. He was stood next to a cow-filled electric fence. 
I was drinking tea and I came up and said, Sergeant Smith, can I have a drink of tea? We always shared a black mug between us and I grabbed it off him and just pushed him back on this electric fence. It wasn't too powerful, but he was wiggling like anything, jumping all over the place. Now, we have, this is the great thing about oral history, isn't it, Gary? Because we have another account, and this is from then Second Lieutenant Richard King. And he remembered this shocking experience quite well. What does he say, Gary? We were alongside an electric fence down in a dip. Sergeant Smith, for a giggle, decided to push me back against this electric fence. So he pushes me and I reel back and fall on it. But because it was lower than the ground we were on, when I fell back on it, I couldn't get up. So there I was, lying on this electric fence, getting a jolt every couple of seconds. All my clothes were wet through, which was helping to conduct the electricity, and I was stuck. I probably squealed like a little girl. There was half the battery stood round watching and everybody was just laughing so much. And obviously, no one came to my assistance. They stood there laughing and making bizarre comments. The only way I could get off was to throw myself backwards over the fence into the field. Knowing he's lucky, landing a cow pat. I could t- that is just such a great story. Fantastic. Wonderful. In reality, there was nothing King could do, even after he'd recovered his composure. What did he do? Well, as he said at the time, he, he just said, thank you very much, Sergeant Smith. To invoke Queen's regs would be entirely counterproductive and indicate nothing more clearly than he couldn't take a joke. What sort? Um, I think uh, a a sense of humour is a vital necessity for anyone serving long-term in the TA, or indeed the army. And we've got a book. Or indeed producing podcasts. Yes. Laugh or Cry. Do you remember that book we wrote? Seven people bought it. It's done really well. (laughs) It underpinned their comradeship. A good laugh could help them through the bad times. And and this is what... uh, and I'm looking forward to your accent on this, and reminded that she also has a predilection to violence. It's Staff Sergeant, taught by Smudge Smith, Staff Sergeant Sam Jordan. We volunteer oh. to do this. <laughs> Chicken down, yeah. We're not forced into doing it. Whereas in the regular army, you sign up, and they've got you 24 hours a day, and you will do what you're told. It doesn't matter whether you've got a sense of humour or not. You've got to do it. In the TA, you volunteer to do it, and the regulars think that we're mad. We come off our own bat and we do it. You've got to have a sense of humour. Got to keep people happy. You've got to be enthusiastic and enjoy it. Or there's no point in being there. If you're a miserable so-and-so, why be here? If you don't want to be here, then leave and let somebody else come. It's just like our podcast, Gary. Yes. Now, there's one member of the regiment. We've we've had him on before, but he, he had a legendary status as a joke. Oh, before we go on, another another Foxy Plus Not at the moment. I'm, I'm saving late. it for later as yes. a treat. There, are, there is only one left. So uh, you've been doing quite well on them, haven't you? Uh, anyway, who is this masked figure? Well, it's Dave Young, who had a, an incredible reputation for his efforts to keep his fellow gunners happy and his general lack of the appropriate respect for the authority invested in holders of the Queen's Commission. <laughs> he was nothing, if not convincing, in whatever dreadful scam he was engaged in carrying out for the general amusement. Was that yeah. your phone, Pete? Yeah, it was, mate. Uh, he was amazingly convincing. Uh, he just could lie. He, he was an accomplished liar. And this is Lance Bombardier, David Young. Dave Young, yeah. Uh, you've got to have a laugh. And our thing on our gun was whenever we had ru- uh, visitors come round, we'd made a pact between us. Rupert's, 
come along, dead posh, and it's the standard thing. And what's your job in civilian life? Most of the lads are on Dole from Bullwell, but we'd made a pact and everybody had a different job. Smudge used to say, oh God, we're having visitors. Don't do it to me, youngie. Don't do it. Don't do it. We'd all be lined up. An officer would come under the net. He'd start with one. The first one would come out with some stupid job. Uh, and Some stupid job. And he went on like, uh, like that. For one, I was a job share toilet attendant from Nottingham City Council. When I said that, you could hear people sniggering. And that's uh, just uh, one of um, that's just one of one of it, you know. Now standing in the background would be poor old Sergeant poor old Sergeant <laughs> Smudge Smith, <Ow! laughs> who was often placed at a considerable disadvantage as Young went through his campaign of deliberate misinformation. And this is Sergeant Smudge Smith of Four Two Five Troop. Of course, we knew he wasn't. There was a belly laugh. The Brigadier General said, "What are you laughing at, lads? It's a well-deserved job, a good career." We knew damn well he wasn't, and it was just so funny at the time. You're tired and everything. Cheered you up, though, didn't it? Now, uh, well, do you want the last one, last Fox's glass here? Oh, thank you very much. Now, uh, his famous joke, his most famous joke, I think you're going to enjoy this joke more than most, Gary. Um, it's, it's a, how would you describe it? I, I know I'd describe it as a fairly traditional hate crime perpetrated on unwary senior officers. Or a simple wheeze, it could be called. Yeah. Um, Almost always effective in the hands of uh, this master of dissembling. Dave Young. And when carried out with a perfectly straight face. And once more, you're going to tell us what Lance Bombardier Dave Young says. Uh, You've not read ahead, have you? No. No? Carry on sucking. (laughs) Carry on sucking? (laughs) Oh, we used to have sweets. Uh, I'd put uh, half a dozen on the back of, uh, of the tailgate. Chocolate eclairs, extra strong mi- mint, or foxes. Bless you, mints. I used to unwrap one, put it inside me foreskin, rub it round, take it out, rewrap it. Everyone would say, oh, God. I'd say, that's the one. Don't touch that one. <laughs> the senior officers used to come round. And if you're stuck in a suite, when they come round, they say they feel obliged to have one. They like to be one of the lads. So I say, would you like a sweet, sir? <laughs> They're lovely, these are. Uh, they'd go, oh, okay then, yes. I'd pass it on to them. Here you go, here you are, sir. They'd pop it in their mouths and they'd be sucking away. You could hear all lads uh, uh, sniggering. <laughs> yeah, now meanwhile, all these fellow junior NCOs and gunners were trying to suppress their laughter. It was such a simple yet disgusting gag, but they truly... Loved it. And this is Bombardier Andy Bushnell. Oh, God. There's another detail coming up that I hope you particularly enjoy. He used to put them up his ass, down his privates, and wrap them back up again. The visiting officer would come round and he says, Would you like a sweet? Oh, yes, that's very kind of you. And they are eating these sweets and everyone knows where they've been. This visiting officer, brigade commander or colonel, he's jumping away on these sweets and absolutely everyone is in stitches. Except Dave Young. Anyone else want a sweet? No, no, we're all right, thanks. No one ever takes a sweet off Dave Young. Oh, perhaps not me either. Are you beginning to think? Not at all. Even some of the more junior officers knew what was happening. Thus it was that Lieutenant Taylor Jane Fox 
found herself in an excruciatingly embarrassing position as she accompanied a brigadier around the gun positions. And you're going to be Lieutenant Taylor James. Now, Colonel. Yogi comes out and goes, Excuse me, sir, would you like a sweet? <laughs> and hands him this fox's glassy mint. You're there and you're caught. Do you say something? Do you say anything? Or do I not? I couldn't say a word. I just stood there cringing and he handed it over to this officer. He opened it and ate it in front of us. I was going, oh no, maybe I should have said something. <laughs> You're just having an argument with yourself because what he doesn't know isn't going to hurt him. I had to look the other way. <laughs> oh, the penny's dropped. Enjoying that, Foxy, glass you mint. Yeah, can I have another one? Oh, Gary, I forgot you were in the army. You're used to worse than that. Uh, great accent there, Pete. I'm sure nobody would object to that. No. Now, the culture of such crude gags is a long and noble tradition in the British Army and every other army stretching back as long as soldiers have borne arms uh, and uh, tried their level best to undermine their senior officers. <laughs> it's fair to say that even the then Battery Sergeant Major Ian Oldershaw demonstrated that he was not unfamiliar with such noble traditions when he made a well-timed gesture of international solidarity at the appropriate moment during a visit to the US National now, Guard. Now, the Americans, of course, they've got their own macho rituals, haven't they? But uh, Battery Sergeant Major Ian Oldershaw, as you're going to say, he, he had the answer to that, didn't he? The guys from the 82nd Airborne were big muscled men. They started to do the 82nd Airborne song, which finishes with these guys turning round, dropping their trousers and showing you their bare asses. We were all pushed to the front row to see, and we were all stood there with a glass of beer in our hands. As they all turned round, dropped their kicks and showed us their asses, we just hurled these glasses of beer onto their bare asses. Of course, the six of us thought it was hilarious, but the whole place went deadly quiet. They didn't know whether to come over and rip our heads off or what to do. We poured ourselves another beer. Could have been bad. Um, now, some some people, you know, officers, you know, I, I can imagine if there's any officers left listening to our podcast, you know, distinguished officers like... Uh, Daddles. Colonel Dudley Giles, uh, uh, Colonel Dave Barron, uh, Major Chris Carling, Major Gordon Corrigan. I expect they're uh, scratching their heads and contemplating the decline of moral standards over the last 40 or so years. Uh, But here's one last story that perhaps shows uh, the eternal vandalism of youth. Uh, what it deals with is a fairly spectacular piece of misbehaviour within the officers' mess during the annual camp at Devizes in 1966. They were given uh, one of the old wooden nissen or something else, a uh, purse on a hollow brick-based foundation. They're fairly standard, aren't they? You, you can picture it, can't you? And it's pretty dilapidated, this hut. It, it, it's old. And, and this caught the attention of some of the more boisterous. And uh, what do you think, uh, what else might they have been? Boisterous and... Greek. No, pissed as farts. Officers. And this is Captain John Keyes, who we last heard for falling drunk into the moat at the summer's ball. Anyway, here he is again. Uh, it wasn't vandalism, not true vandalism, merely interests of science. The fact we had an officer who was an estate agent, auctioneer and surveyor, all rolled into one, I suppose made him declare a source of concern about the springiness of the floor in the officer's mess. We didn't think it wise <laughs> for too many people to go into that dangerous big building. 
Peter Featherby found that one particular part of the bar seemed a bit insecure. Well, we tested it and tested it, and I suppose we must have tested it to destruction because it suddenly gave way and disappeared about three foot down into the foundations. It was a very successful exercise, and we were then quite sure that nobody would get hurt after that because the floor had already collapsed and couldn't collapse again. Yeah, that the breaking up process was not entirely accidental was fairly obvious to everyone present that night, but they shared the view that this was an opportunity to practice their destructive skills without recourse to the normal means of firing 25-pounder shells. This time, they'd do it themselves, and uh, another witness to this was Lieutenant Tony Haynes, and he says this... We helped it along a bit by forming a pond on the floor of the mess. The floor of the mess was rotten and by jumping on it as a regiment of officers, we managed to get it to collapse. They had to explain to the camp the following day how dangerous the floor was. I wasn't involved in that because I don't think I could have kept a straight face. Now, um, every generation's got different ways of enjoying them, but a lot of them are the same, aren't they, Gary? Do you not think? Yeah, and of course, they all find though, them terribly represent, uh, reprehensible. In retrospect. People, in retrospect. You look, look back and you think, no, no, no. Yeah, in the annals of the South Nazis, that incident stands out as much as any outrage perpetrated by Smudge, Youngie or any of the others. So there you go. Officers are just as bad as uh, NCOs and other ranks. And But thats I hope you've realised that the, it, the, there was a lot of fun to be had in the South Nazis Isles, and we've really enjoyed doing this podcast, and you certainly enjoyed your Fox's Glassy Mints. <coughs> now, before we go, Pete, we yeah. must mention... Well, we've had, had a present, friend. haven't we? We've had a uh, gift. We'll be putting pictures up. Uh, we've had a picture. Uh, and what is it? Uh, describe to me in detail. It's an album. A, a lovely uh, uh, 33 and a third, as they used to call them. Uh, an LP, a proper vinyl proper LP. vinyl LP by... Uh, lovely uh, gatefold cover. And it's by uh, Old Grey Horror. And it's called... The, the Tower. Tower. And it's all about the Great War. And it sounds like a cross between Rama, Ramadan, Ramadan. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> What's Ramstein. the name of that Ramstein. It sounds between a cross between Ramstein and the Beatles to me. Uh, what's what's Old Grey Horror's name? Oh, well, it's uh, Jason Adams. I had a dog called Jason. I had a brother-in-law called Adams. Perhaps it's the same. And he was famous for being in a band called Lustra, and he had a very famous hit called Scotty Doesn't Know, which I didn't know. Well, I believe he co-wrote. He co-wrote. And he's a really big supporter of the podcast, and we are now really big supporters of Old Grey Horror, are we, Gary? Yeah, and you can get uh, you can download the album on Spotify. You don't have to get it in vinyl, uh, and I would recommend it. It's a, it's a really good listen. And you can also buy it uh, through Old Grey Horror or anywhere. And you'll see his uh, tweets and posts on, on social media. Well, Gary, it's been a pleasure having you. and uh, no, You haven't had me. And not a single... Foxes, Glacier Mint left. They were lovely. Cheers, Gary. Cheers, Pete. Thanks for listening to the show. Blah, blah, blah. If you'd like to support blah, us, blah, you can now buy us a coffee. Blah, blah, Visit www.buymeacoffee.com backslash PGMH. Or... Visit www.blahblahblahblahblah. And we'd be jolly grateful. Cheers. Selling a little? 
or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook to learn more about each episode. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you have a couple of options. You can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee forward slash PGMH or consider subscribing to the podcast for only £2 per month and get ad-free listening and bonus content. You can find links for both on our Facebook and Twitter accounts. Sounds great, doesn't it?